You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, 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 the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know, that crap like that. You know, all this stuff that's contaminated America where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring Little League anymore. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that down, you Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, babe, what's going on? Oh, man alive. It's list season here, Shane. <laughs> the middle of May, SEC. But uh, I got a fun little show topic that I think the listeners will appreciate. And we're going to be able to hit on all 14 SEC teams. So I'm fired up. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, brother. I'm doing real good. It's the. It's like you said, it is list season. It's the the dog days of summer and summer ain't even started yet, but you know, it's just, we got to get through this guys. And, uh, we got a, we got a countdown coming up right around the corner. I hope I didn't steal any thunder, but you know, it feels like when those things kick off, then you can kind of like, oh, okay, if we just hang out here for a few more months, we'll have college football back. Yeah. So Shane kind of tipped you off there. We are just days away from the start of the 100-day countdown. I don't give a damn what Charles Barkley says. It's one of my favorite times of the year. And uh, speaking of that, I can tell that the fans are more getting more and more excited, Shane, because we're getting a lot of reviews. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I'm seeing an uptick there. And, of course, uh, as always, if you have not given us your five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app, go ahead and do that. We've got all 14 SEC teams covered, so doesn't matter what fan base you're from. If you want one of them koozies, reach out to us at that SEC podcast at gmail.com. Send over your review, and we will send you a beer koozie free of charge. I don't know another day of podcast that does it like that, so <laughs> that's just our way of saying thanks to to each and every one of you. But enough about that, Chad. You ready to get to the news here? Yeah, man. I, and going off the koozies, I, I love it. I, I I love the pictures. They've been to just about every stadium. Uh, I think I'm going to start a little collage there, uh, a little scrapbooking here in the offseason, <laughs> piecing together where all these koozies have been. So if you got one, you're at a sporting event, you know, you can get you a cold beer in there somehow. Man, by all means, take a picture, put it on the Twitter page. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely get the Twitters out retweeting so uh, that we can spread the, spread the word because those koozies, I tell you, it's, it's, it's just not only nice seeing them, but every time I see them, I think, oh, man, this, this young person, this, this nice man, this nice woman uh, took time to give us a five-star rating review, and those really do help us out, Mike. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm ready to get to some news. So we didn't have a ton here in the SEC. Obviously, it's the slow time, but we did have a nice little nugget here on Monday, Shane, because former LSU quarterback TJ, Mm. also known as Tank on this show, Tank Finley, 
has announced he's headed to Auburn, Shane. War damn eagle. Not only is he staying in the SEC, he's staying in the SEC West. Mm-hmm. And TJ Finley started five games for the Tigers last season. Now he's going to have an opportunity to compete with Bo Nix there at Auburn. Thoughts on this one, Shane? And do you think Tank has uh, got a legit shot to win the starting job here at Auburn? Uh, you know, it's funny. Have you seen the video? Have you seen this Instagram video came out? Mm, oh, yeah. Like, I'm telling you right now, LSU has by far one of the greatest uh, digital teams down there, marketing, whatever you want to call. Mm-hmm. You know, just I think of some of the great ones that came out with Joe's back there. I mean, LSU's got it figured out. They had absolutely no help on this video. <laughs> <laughs> This was shot strictly from a GoPro, and uh, I just thought it was awesome. You know, it was like a little bit of a buildup. I saw what he was doing. He goes, LSU will always be home, but uh, uh, if you guys, I'm going to the West. I'm going to play you guys every single year. Remind you what you're missing. So, <laughs> uh, I think it's, I think it's unusual. You know, I, 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 I kind of, I was kind of surprised that's where he picked a, a landing spot um, because. I don't think he can beat Bo. You know, he had trouble beating uh, Mr. Johnson down there, and I just, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just think he's going to have even. I don't know if it was pitched to him like he has a, a shot here, or if this was, hey, let's let's build around you, let's talk about the future. We don't have anything else in the pipeline. I think if that's the case, TJ made a great move here going to Auburn. But uh, if he's thinking to compete immediately, I don't know. I'm not sold that he can beat Bo. Uh, I know you're probably thinking a little different. Yeah, and I see. I can understand why you'd say that. He's, you know, wasn't there for spring, so Bo Nix has already got a leg up on him there. And everything we've heard out of Auburn, out of Parson, and I don't. I also can't remember. I think Bobo's spoken a little bit, but uh, I'm speaking more of Harson here. He's been nothing but. Uh, praising Bo Nix and mm-hmm. you know his fit in what they're trying to do in the offense but I don't know if you remember this Shane but I made this point and I'm gonna remind everybody because I'm not often right so when I am like I'll say something but Bo Nix read between the lines of what these coaches are saying they're saying all mm-hmm. the right things but we'll find out for real how Auburn feels about Bo Nix and remember there's none of these coaches recruited Bo Nix to Auburn if they add a quarterback this offseason that uh, has you know the potential to start, I think that tells you all you need to know about what they think of Bo Nix. And they have done just that. So T.J. Finley starting behind the eight ball, not having the spring and, and not having those months and weeks to prepare like Bo Nix has. So I'm not saying that he's automatically going to win the job, but I don't know. I I think this. Uh, I just think this is a case where actions speak louder than words, and because if you look at it, T.J. Finley's got four years left to play, and Bo Nix, if he took a free year of eligibility last season, he's still got three. So yeah, this isn't a situation where it's like Bo. I heard there was one guy on Twitter saying, "Well, Bo Nix is going to go NFL next year." I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what film? What film are you watching? <laughs> and that's no disrespect. I mean, I think that. You know, I've said it time and time again. Anybody piling on Bo Nix, I won't do that because Chad Morris was his coach and, and Gus Malzahn was his coach, and that's that's one of those coaches is enough to ruin a quarterback, not to mention two of them. So, you know, the, the best of Bo Nix is likely to come with Brian Harson and Mike Bobo in Auburn, but now I think uh, he's competing with a guy that I think has a better arm than him. So... Who are they going to go with? They're going to go with the athletic Bo Nix, or are they going to go with the rocket arm TJ Finley? And I don't know. I'm not making any bold predictions here, but all of a sudden Auburn's got one of the more interesting quarterback competitions in the SEC. I think. Well, and, and going spin zone here for a second, I think TJ. I think adding TJ was beneficial to Bo. I mean, think about. Last year, absolutely no competition. He wasn't looking over his shoulder. He wasn't going to lose his job, and and I think that hurts you in a, in a in a climate that we're in with the SEC. You've got to have a competitive QB room. Um, if not, you don't have anybody pushing you. You don't have anybody getting. I mean, 
he's he's it. He was the only one. And if I'm the only one, yeah, I'm probably not going to spend as much time watching film. Or mm-hmm. maybe I'm going to cut the edges here at practice and not you know work as hard. I'm not saying that's what Bo did, but if you are actively competing against somebody. You know, here you went out, you shopped this kid. He had he had an opportunity. TJ could have went to just about any university in the SEC, and they chose Auburn because he thinks he can win that job. I think this is good for Bo, um, a little competition. Yeah, you may be right, Shane. So I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not uh, I'm not ready to bury Bo Nix just yet. But I'm still I'm still on the Bo Nix. I, I I get TJ's great, but but he also lost a job. You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And I, that's 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 the one thing that that stands out to my mind. So he's already lost a quarterback competition. So um, he's he's got a tall glass of water. But I love the staff. I say what you want. I, I think he's got one of the better offensive coordinators uh, to work with. And uh, who knows? Both these young kids may may take leaps and bounds. They may look totally different the next time we see them throwing football. Mm-hmm. And sticking with Auburn, just real quick, Shane. They also landed. Hell, they're quickly becoming uh, them in Tennessee transfer portal. You in the SEC because mm-hmm. Auburn's landed uh, Kansas defensive lineman Marcus Harris, who was a redshirt freshman last year, led the team with seven and a half tackles for loss. He started five games for the Jayhawks. So Derek Mason getting uh, some defensive line help, and then he reached into uh, Vanderbilt, his former starting safety who was a true freshman last year, has got four seasons to play. Donovan Kaufman has also transferred to Auburn. So it certainly seems like, you know, it was a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, there was about five, six guys that left Auburn. And mm-hmm. now they've replaced them with about five or six guys. And I think you can make the case that Auburn is upgraded with all these additions. And, and it's cert- the way I read into it is just, you know, the coaching staff getting guys that they're comfortable with and familiar with and, and think can contribute right away. So uh, if I'm if I'm an Auburn fan, I like what I'm seeing the last couple of weeks with these additions. Even if these guys don't start, you're getting some quality depth there. Can I ask you just just because I'm curious, is the what's the transfer rule situation this year? That's the unanswered question at this point because the SEC has not made a determination. So a guy like TJ Finley currently – ineligible to play for Auburn. Yeah. But, and Donovan Kaufman, former Vanderbilt safety, also ineligible. But that is expected to change. But we have learned a long time ago that uh, what we expect, you know, the the NCAA has already passed it, but the SEC has to pass it. And that is expected. But again, until it's done, uh, it ain't done. You know what I mean? So, yeah, at this point, they're technically ineligible. And we'll find out in, I think, in the middle of June when they have their league meetings. This is not the SEC media days, but they have a closed-door meetings with coaches. I think that's when the the vote will take place, and we'll find out if the SEC is going to waive this uh, SEC to SEC transfer rule. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, that'd be a good time. So uh, so when do they, they meet before – uh hoover right they right so this will be in june okay all right man no that that'd be good little because right now it's muddy and and, you know you're already we're already painting a competition there may not be one there in auburn it may be still bo's baby so Mm um i guess we just we just wait man that's what we do (laughs) wait to the last minute (laughs) sec i love it (laughs) well speaking of transfers let's hop down to gainesville real quick because this was a weird one, Shane, where uh, Missouri, they signed the nation's number one junior college cornerback, Jadarius Perkins. He went through spring training camp. He was getting reps with the number one defense. He likely would have started. And then he up and left Missouri right after (laughs) spring. And over the weekend, he announced he's headed to Florida. So, Oh, man. Really nice pickup here potentially for Dan Mullen's program. I don't know if Perkins is going to start there at Florida. They're a little bit deeper in that defensive backfield, but I got to imagine that Perkins is going to see the field. And, and of course, anytime you can hurt a division opponent and, and improve your roster, you got to do it if you're the Gators. But this may be the craziest story of, of just kind of where we're at with all this transfer portal stuff. 
hell, this guy may go through two different camps here at, <laughs> before ever getting on the field in the SEC. You know what? That's right. When he gets down there, he just tries to jot down everything he remembers <laughs> from practice. You know? <laughs> That's what you do. So, oh, man, I, I, I don't like stories like this, but, you know, there's probably a reason that we don't know why he left. But um, I just hate I, – I'm not a fan. Like, I'm okay with you moving around the SEC. I'm just not a fan of the same conference, you know, like the I, I, Mizzou to Florida or – or LSU to Auburn, you know. It, mm-hmm. I just – I'm not a huge fan of that. There there has to be a reason that he's choosing it. And, you know, we got to do what's best for the student athlete. Who knows? He, You know, he may come out of Florida and, and land a job in the NFL one day because of it. So, uh, I can't fault him, but I just – I'm just not a fan of, of the same division, you know. Right. And I know you're kidding around, but could you imagine – you know, there may come a time where these coaches may say – you know, maybe we got to hold back what we teach these freshmen when it comes to like a trick play or, you know, something yeah. because, because hell, like you go to Auburn and, and maybe they're devising up something. They're like, Nick, this will work against Nick Saban's special teams. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. that guy transfers out and goes to all or Alabama. Then they're like, oh, well, hell, that play is ruined. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's kind of a, it's such a weird time that you, that you even have to think about stuff like this. You know what? No, that's a good point, man. Not thought about it. All right, Shay. So, like I said, not a lot of news around the SEC, but uh, so that's why I had to come up with the latest list <laughs> of the offseason. <laughs> this is uh, one I've done the last couple of years, and people sure love to call me an <laughs> idiot for these ones. So, uh-huh. let's do it, buddy. Let's do. I ranked the SEC play callers on both sides. Did of you the say? Ball. Did you say I or we? This is uh, Cousin Shane's list here at Big <laughs> no, Orange Balls. <laughs> nothing to do with this one, but I will sit back here and judge accordingly. So uh, this is very, yeah, this is a very popular list you put out every year, Mike. Uh, I don't expect this one to be any different. So uh, are, we're going to cover both offense and defense today? Yes, sir. All right, man. Let me get another cold beer here and let's do this. <laughs> All right, we're going to start with the offense. we got to start with the offense, Shane. That's where the game's at, and these are the guys that, uh, you know, this is what fans come to see football with now. I mean, nobody wants to see slow-ass defensive game nope. plan. They want to see high-flying, scoring, you know, ball throwing all over the yard. So let's start with the play callers here. Number one on my list, I'm not going to make you guess all these, Shane, but who, who do you think I got number one offensive play caller in the SEC, and I, uh, I should note this is a little mix of uh, head coaches and offensive coordinators. I w- I go with uh, my understanding of who is actually making the calls on Saturday. So, number one is a head coach. I'll give you that hint. Who do you think I got number one? Uh, I was gonna go shit, Mike. Um, because I've got a couple here. Because I, I I'm Lane Train. Latrade. <laughs> well, see, I didn't know if you'd go with him or the actual offensive coordinator here because, uh, you know, he does have quite a bit of input there in that program. Right, and I've always been a little bit confused with that because Kiffin says that Lebby, Lebby calls the plays, Jeff Lebby, but, you know, just from talking to more and more people, Lane Kiffin is the ultimate decision maker when it comes to the plays there in Oxford. He's on the headset. He's listening to everything being said. So mm-hmm. I gotta go with our guy Lane Kiffin, number one offensive play caller in the SEC. He's done it at Alabama. Yeah, he's doing it and now just, at look Ole what, Miss. Look what he did last year, Ole Miss. I mean, mm-hmm. it, there's no brainer for me too. I like this. I like this one. Yeah, and not only is he. I'm not throwing in quarterback development or anything or recruiting anything like that in this list, just play calling, but mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin elite in those categories as well. And I think uh, the most impressive thing we've seen from Lane Kiffin during his time at Ole Miss is just go back and watch that Alabama game where, you know, he knows Nick Saban's defense like the back of his hand, at least mm-hmm. <laughs> according to that game. So uh, that game alone puts Kiffin in conversation for number one for me. All right, number two on the list, Shane. I'm staying in the state. Mike Leach, 
<laughs> I think he's just, uh, you know, the offensive. We throw around the, the term guru a lot. He, yeah. This guy really is a guru. I mean, he's been doing it for 30 years, I think, at the college level. Damn near 30 years. And I know the results were not how we wanted them last year, but... I mean, he basically pantsed old Bo Pelini, you know, in the, in the yeah. opener. Bo Pelini had no idea what the hell he was doing with this. And uh, I know Mike Leach's offense kind of hit a brick wall there in the middle of the season, but they started to come along after, you know, they kind of weeded out the players that didn't want to be there. We started to see that momentum going. And I think in year two under Mike Leach, year two of Will Rogers, quarterback, if he wins the job, I think Mississippi State's offense is ready to kind of hit that second, third gear. What do you think about Mike Leach? <sighs> I think it's bold, Mike. I don't know why you hate the Florida Gators so much, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, Mike. I'm telling you, we were all on the Coach Leach train last year. Uh, it felt like a mistake there about week three and four, and uh, slowly he he started getting back into it. So. Uh, I'm with you. I, it's 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 play calling. It's it's getting the, the the athletes that he did have on that team the opportunities to make the most out of out of out of the offense. So, yeah, I could I could I can see it. I can see him at the second spot, but I could also see him dropping a little bit mm-hmm. because you know he always this, this sophomore season always felt like that's when you see Coach Leach pop. And if it doesn't happen in the SEC, I, I, I'm afraid we could look back at this list and say, you know what, maybe we were, maybe we got a little too excited about the Pirates. So, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to to give him one more year, and uh, because that's that's usually what happens. It's usually a second season uh, he takes off. So, uh, for that being said, let's yeah, I'm good with you keeping him in the second spot. Well, just to show I'm not too biased against Florida, I got Dan Mullen, number three. <laughs> he is one hell of a play caller, and there may not be a better you know, mind in college football when it comes to matchups and getting his guys in space. And Yeah. Uh, you know, he's just done a terrific job over the years and, you know, getting Pitts, you know, in position to make so many plays. Kadarius Toney, so many plays last season especially, and – and this is even before we were talking about his quarterback development. I mean, who who in the hell was Kyle Trask before Dan Mullen came along? Uh, Felipe mm-hmm. Franks looked like he was a complete bust until he started, you know, playing for Dan Mullen. Dak Prescott can go on and on and on, but uh, Dan Mullen, he's the one behind the, the the offense there in Gainesville. He's got that thing humming, and I know there's a lot of new parts this season, but because they got Dan Mullen calling the the shots here. I know Florida's going to have a at least a, a very good offense next season with Dan Mullen calling the plays. Yeah, and, and Dan Mullen, Dan's one of those guys that it, it depends on who I'm talking to. They can easily convince me that he's the best in the in the country. And mm-hmm. uh, just, but we're taking out the development side. You're just doing strictly play calling. So I, I can see why you maybe got him at the three spot, but. I, it would not surprise me if we look back at this at the end of the season and say, God, Mike, why the hell did you not have Dan first? Look what he did with Kyle Trask. Look what he, you know, look mm-hmm. what he did with the the talent that he had down there. Things he's able to accomplish when he was at Mississippi State. Uh, it's it's hard not to ma- have an argument there saying that Dan's not the best on this list, and uh, I'm just glad it's your list and not mine. So I'm going to go ahead and mute Gator <laughs> notifications because it's about to get loud in here, Mike. <laughs> All right, how about this? You're going to like this one. Number four, Josh Heupel, Tennessee. Mm. And, man, if you just look at the numbers, I mean, it's incredible what his offenses did down there at UCF. Several top ten offense across the board in in many key metrics. And then, you know, the only thing you could say is, well, hell, that's not the SEC and all this. Well, hell, he's done it in the SEC when he was calling plays up Missouri. So, uh, Drew Locke had his best years under Josh Heupel, and as soon as he left Missouri, they remember they hired Derek Dooley, and it fucking <laughs> drove off a cliff there. So, I mean, I, if that's not evidence that Josh Heupel knows what he's doing, I don't know what is. Uh, I think, you know, much like Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss last season, I think everybody's underrating what's coming at Tennessee, especially if they can find themselves a quarterback. I think the offense is going to be 
something to see there on Rocky Top. Mm, I like that. It's funny, every time you mention Dooley, especially with Mizzou, I always go back to him and Des Bryant fighting on the sideline there at Dallas. And I was like, you know, I was like, somebody up there said, you know who'd be a good hire? That guy. You know, he done destroyed one program. Let's bring him up here. So, uh, uh, no, that, that was that was a terrible hire. But anyway, uh, I like this, Mike. I like this a lot. But I got to ask you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love this. I, was this for me? Did you do this for me? <laughs> Did you put <laughs> To give Big Orange Balls a little little loving, you know, so he could get through the offseason knowing that we're going to be, you know, bad shape next year. Is it is that what this is? Or well, just wait till really... wait till you see where I got the defensive coordinator ranked before you okay. think I'm jumping <laughs> okay. too much on the bandwagon here. Okay. All right, number five offensive coordinator Shane. I think you'll like this one too, Eli Drakowitz. Uh, we've only yeah. seen one year at Missouri, but you know you can't say that. Uh, you know, he hasn't gotten the job done there. I mean, he's was up for SEC Coach of the Year, and, it, and it's even more impressive that uh, he's calling all the plays. He's He did that uh, at other stops, including Appalachian State and NC State. And looking at the numbers that he had at NC State, they have fallen off a cliff since Drinkowitz left there too. So uh, he, he might be one. You keep mentioning yeah. all these guys, maybe a little too low. Drinkowitz, I think, by the end of the season, could be one where we're looking at and say, How'd you have him number five? <laughs> I, I'm telling you because, and, and it's not the numbers. I mean, you could pull out the stats and you could say, oh, but look how many, you know, it's just, that's that's not what we're talking here. I, I think when you're talking best play card, you're going neutral, neutral. Like everybody has the University of Alabama roster last mm-hmm. year. Right. And, you know, you're going into a game, who's going to have the better offense? And I just love what Eli was able to do last year. And putting his guys in the best opportunities to win. There was, I mean, we saw the LSU game. That was fantastic. There was a couple of games that it just it came down to the wire. And even though they were undermanned, understaffed, you know, they just found ways to just crawl into some of these games. So that that comes down to coaching. So I yeah, I'm all for this one. I think I think I think we look back here in a few years and we're gonna say, damn, I can't believe Missouri had I mean, if you think about the hires that they made last year. I think Mizzou got this sneaky one, man. I think they're one of those that says, we got an offensive guru here. Mm -hmm. All right, how about this one, Shane? I think this guy has got a real shot to jump up this list in a year's time. But uh, number six, Kendall Bryles, Arkansas. I really like what he's done all across his uh, track record there in college football. And this is the first time he's been somewhere for longer than one season. And I think going back four maybe five seasons. So yeah, getting some continuity there. I know the quarterbacks changed over to KJ Jefferson likely, but basically all the pieces around him are back. The offensive line, all the receivers outside of Mike Woods who transferred and some talented running backs. And this Arkansas offense really, you know, started slow last season, but then it really started to come on towards the tail end of the season. And I think the Razorbacks much like a couple of these other teams, are poised for really big seasons on the offensive side of the ball. I think Kendall Browles is is one to know. <laughs> and I, kudos to all the Arkansas fans that stuck around, didn't turn off the pod there after Eli. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that them two could have been back and forth. So uh, I, I like where he's at. Um, I, I could definitely see him. Uh, it's one of those same, same situations, you know, just – takes that raw talent that he has had and, and got the most out of it. Arkansas's offense, say what you want, looked night and day difference this year or last season. And that that's all because of coaching. So mm-hmm. and and player, you know, player development and that, but I think coaching from top to bottom uh made Arkansas, you know, stay in a lot of these games last year and hell probably could have pulled off a few more upsets. So um a lot of that has to do with Brawl. So this is a this is a good spot for him. Now, how about this, Shane? You may have some – I'm going to get called out for this one. I'm already ready for it. But yeah. number seven, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, mm. one of the best coaches in all of college football. How could I have him, number seven, on this list? <laughs> but I think it's accurate, Shane, because, um, you know, if you look across the board, it's not like Texas A&M's offense is necessarily lighting up the scoreboard. It's – it's a combination of, uh, you know, really, they've been very balanced. I'll give them that. But 
I just don't think that the passing game has come along like I thought it would be. That's not to say that it's not going to start doing that now, but years and years of Kellen Mond, you think it would, I don't know, I just think it'd be a little bit more impressive. And I think, you know, you can make the argument that the defense has been more more impressive than the offense there in College Station. So Jimbo Fisher, I got him number seven. What do you think about that? Mm, I don't know why you hate the Aggies so much, Mike. You know, I, I mean, uh, that's that SEC, Mike. Um, no, I think uh, I think you make some good points, but I, I think I think what we're overlooking here is Jimbo only lost one game last year, and it was to national champs that went undefeated. Mm-hmm. Right? Did I miss something? Or was there, there was in that was it? Right. That was it. Just one, just one loss, and it was to an early season favorite with Alabama Crimson Tide. I think the problem that Jimbo runs into is it, it wasn't sexy. It wasn't as sexy as some of these other games that we watched because he didn't need to be. He had a freaking dominant offensive line. Mm-hmm. He had great running backs. He didn't need to throw. He didn't need to make Kellen Mond win games, even though he did a few times. So, uh, yeah, I think you're a little bullish on Jimbo because Jimbo sim I mean, we, we talked the same thing with Dan, you know, Dan took what he had and made it work with the university of Florida. Now I'm expecting the offense to look similar, not, not identical, but similar to what Texas A&M put out on the field last year. Not going to be nearly as flashy and, and sexy, but it's going to be productive and it's going to keep the chains moving. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I think maybe a little bullish on Jimbo um, because like I said, he, he only lost one game and, uh, and I, I don't know what it would have looked like if these guys would have played each other again, like they should have in the playoffs. All right. How about this one, Shane? Turn off or no, don't turn off the show. Maybe just turn it down there. Gamecocks. Number eight, Mike Bobo. Auburn, mm. now Auburn offensive coordinator. I know the Gamecocks sure do hate them some Bobo, but <laughs> I thought I still can't get over that. You know, the fact that they think he did such a horrible job. They got Kevin Harris led the SEC in rushing. Shy Smith now playing in the NFL. He he was nowhere close to being an NFL player heading into last season. And uh, I think a lot of uh, South Carolina's issues came down to just not having a quarterback that was that good last season, yet the offense was the side of the ball that was the strongest, and we all know Bobo, you know, the historic offenses he led at Georgia. So I think Auburn's got themselves a good one in Mike Bobo. What do you think about him? Yeah, I've always I've always been a, a I don't know, maybe not a fan, but he's grown on me. And uh, I think what he was able to do with – one second, Bruno's not a fan – I think what he's what he's been able to do with the talent. He, I mean, you got to think about that. You just talk, you talk about Shai Smith. Literally, the only weapon he had to use outside of those those amazing running backs. So, I don't know. the The production wasn't. It was tough. He he had a he had a tough hand. He was holding last year, and and I I, I don't want to fault him for that uh, because he's going to have a lot more talent. I think this year with Auburn. I think we can look back and say, you know what? Maybe Mike's right. Maybe he is better than we thought. Mm-hmm. All right. How about this? Well, this will be controversial here. Bill O'Brien, number nine, Alabama, new offensive coordinator, former head coach of the Houston Texans. And I know he did a good job there at Houston for the time he was there, but mm-hmm. he also had Deshaun Watson last time I checked. And <laughs> uh, he, he'll cover up a lot of holes you got in, in kind of play calling issues. And if you remember, we had Adam McClintock on the other day, and he rates these guys on their play calling ability. He gave Bill O'Brien a D from his time at Penn State. So I'm not thinking that it's going to be a D performance here at Alabama with all he's got to work with. But I don't know. This is one where – I got to see it to believe it, and I'm not ready to just anoint you know, Bill O'Brien as some great play caller uh, and, until he's done it at the SEC level. Who knows? I mean, how many times, Shane, has some kind of NFL coach coming into college and thinks he knows everything and he, and he can't relate to the players or makes it too complex? Or, you know, there's so many potential landmines there that uh, I just can't in good conscience put Bill, Bill O'Brien any higher than number nine here. 
Yeah, but how many offensive coordinators show up to University of Alabama and all of a sudden we crown them and think they're the God's gift to football. So uh, I'm not expecting anything different here. In fact, this is probably going to be the most hate that you got besides Georgia. Um, that it, Clearly you hate them still. But I, I'm just looking at this, and, and Bill's going to be one of those at the end of the season. He's going to be in competition with all the – you know, I don't, I can't, I don't remember all the fancy trophy names or anything like that that they have at the end of the season. But I guarantee he's going to be on every damn list, mm-hmm. and that's just because the talent he has around him. And you know, he was a, a lot of people don't know he was an offensive. I don't want to say guru, but he was an offensive minded coach, uh, and there for a while in Houston did the play calling and uh, got him in trouble. I think a little bit. So um, I, I don't want to fault him for that because you, you talk about SEC experience. I mean. The closest thing to SEC coaching is NFL coaching. And so I, I think he's not going to shy from the competition. Uh, but uh, he's one of those guys that I, I, I guarantee you right now at the end of the season, he's going to be on every watch list in the country. And that may be because of coaching, but most likely because of talent. Mm-hmm. All right, you kind of hit it at it there. Number 10, Shane Todd Bunkin, Georgia offensive coordinator. And ooh, I can imagine the Bulldogs are upset right now, but mm-hmm. I hear the- them topping right now. <laughs> here's the deal, Shane. We've only had one year of him at Georgia. And I think the fact that JT Daniels was not on the field really hurt him. And, and that can really bump him up this list next year. But, you know, they did not look great against Alabama. They did not look great against Florida. And I know the defenses really kind of cost him in that game, but you go back and watch Mississippi State, they could bear I think they rushed for something like six yards in that game. I just not overly impressed with what I've seen from Todd Munkin so far. Like I said, it's only been one year. And you know, once JT Daniels got in there, it was kind of completely different. But also the schedule eased up quite a bit as well. So I say all that to say I know, almost like Bill O'Brien, it's it's tough to put Todd Monk in this low, no, given the fact that uh, you know he's so well respected. But it's just tough to rate him based on the quarterback play that we had at Georgia before we had JT Daniels in there, and and I don't know how else to to grade this guy. But don't you feel like it, it was a tell of two halves though last season? Because uh, I was with you I, at the start of the season, first three, four, five games in. I, I would have fired him immediately if I if I had the ability. It just felt like we weren't we weren't getting our money's worth. But toward the tail end of the season, even though the the schedule eased up a little bit, it just I don't know. It felt like Georgia found its rhythm, found it, it found its identity late in the season. And I know that's Todd's Todd's job. Todd he needs to find this week one, you know, going into the season. And he wasn't able to do it, so maybe that's why we bring him down a little bit. But you know, if he can build off what we saw the tail end of last season, uh, watch out, man. I, I think a lot of people are going to save his pod and say, Mike's an idiot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I fully expect it. Wouldn't but, be the first time. <laughs> that's, but again, it's it's it comes back to talent. They've got the talent. They just need to get all the pieces working together. And if, and if they can, starting out the season, they've got some tough games right there out of the gate. Uh, do you got their schedule, just the first four or five games? Just curious. Yes, sir. I got it right here. Georgia Bulldogs, first game, of course, the season opener in Charlotte against Clemson. Yeah. That'll be tough. I mean, yeah, you got to hit the ground running, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that even you don't even have to go past week one, Mike. I, I forgot, done forgot about them playing Clemson. Mm-hmm. That's going to be your telltale sign right there. Now, if they come out and they look like offensive juggernauts like they did toward Tell in the last season, um, yeah, maybe maybe Todd's redeemed himself. But um, but that's kind of where we're at with him right now. He's he's more in a prove it type of season. Yeah, and then the rest of the offensive coordinator, Shane, I didn't feel right kind of ranking any of them because. They're all short on experience, calling plays at uh, this major level. Jake Peets at LSU, Marcus Satterfield, South Carolina, Liam Cohen, Kentucky, David Rayoff from Vanderbilt. So they're kind of all in the same boat. Uh, This first-year offensive coordinators at this level and been assistants at uh, their previous stops. A lot of these guys 
In fact, all these guys, I believe, have NFL experience. So it's not, I'm not sitting here saying these guys are terrible, but, you know, how in the hell can you rank them when they've, they've not done it? You know what I mean? Exactly. I'm with you. All right, so uh, let's flip on over to the defensive side here, Shane. Number one, Dan Lanning, Georgia. I love the job that old Dan Lanning's done there in Athens. I think, uh, you know, before long, this guy almost, he probably could have had the Kansas job if he wanted it, but I thought it was wise for him to kind of pull back on that because Georgia may be in for such a huge season that uh, he may have his choice of jobs by the end of it. Great, great game call, uh, a play caller on the defensive side of the ball. Dan Lanning, number one in the SEC, defensive play caller. Thoughts on that one? No, I like this, Mike. I like it a lot. In fact, this is going to be the last time, I think, that we're going to be able to say that about him in the University of Georgia. <laughs> I think this is the year that he finally decides to take that head coaching position somewhere else. But uh, enjoy it while you got it because they got a fantastic defensive coordinator there. Mm-hmm. All right, number two on my list, Shane. Barry Odom, Arkansas. And, you know, I think um, – he was getting a ton of respect at the beginning of last season when Arkansas, of course, uh, you know, they faced Georgia tough. Mm-hmm. And then that was a huge upset against Mississippi State. And you got to remember back at that time, Mississippi State was coming off the, you know, the season opening win against LSU. And everybody thought Mississippi State may be a top 10 team or something crazy like that. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden just went downhill because Barry Odom schemed up a, a defensive scheme to to slow them down and everybody just basically copied it for the rest of the year and yep the the defense fell apart in Fayetteville last season but I was hell I was saying that to anybody that would listen that that was going to happen and it was just you know it was unfair for Arkansas to have to play 10 SEC games and and you, you nailed it right there they didn't have the players they didn't have the depth now I think they'll have certainly a lot better of of both and I think that Early season defense we saw from Arkansas last season is going to show a lot more next season. So thoughts on Barry Odom being number two? Oh, without a doubt, man. And you always know you got a good coordinator when they're the first names that keep popping up in head coaching positions. <laughs> you know, right. we we just missing one there, Georgia. This is no different. We ne- we uh, there for a second we thought there was a there was a shot he wouldn't be back in Arkansas and he did come back, but, um, yeah, I think, I think this is, uh, uh, similar to Dan. I think this is maybe his last season as a, as a coordinator there in Arkansas, but they got a hell of a good one. All right. Number three on my list, Shane, another guy that could potentially be landed a head coaching job before long, Mike Elko, Texas A&M defensive coordinator, Mm -hmm. them Aggies, you know, this is kind of, what I was saying when I think uh, the defense has been the stronger side of the ball at uh, in College Station, and that's no slight to the offense because they've certainly been been doing a great work on that side of the ball. But it's just another level at Texas A and M where you now they got defensive guys going to the NFL every year. They got several more on this defense that are poised to do it in the the next draft to come. Uh, I think Texas A&M, I keep saying it, they may have the best defense in the SEC next year, and uh, that's largely a credit to Mike Elko and uh, and Jimbo landing these defensive players and Elko just calling good game plans on Saturday. Let me ask you, Mac, because uh, I, I, how close were you with with these top three? Um, because I, I could, you could have came out and said, Hey, I've got Elko one. Mm-hmm. I've got Dan, you know, I could, I could have seen these three right here go in any order. I mean, how close are we talking when you were making this list from, you know, from, from cho- what made you land Elko at three as opposed to one? Yeah, honestly, they're, they're basically interchangeable, but yeah, I don't know. I just think that, uh, a little bit of a, I tried to project a little bit of what I think because, you know, I keep saying Texas A&M probably going to have the best defense, but I think Georgia may have the best overall season. Yeah. And then Barry Odom, man, I just can't get over the job. We got to remember how, how shitty Arkansas was two years ago. Yeah. I mean, they were just, they were like a laughing stock of college football. And then here last season, 
Hell, there was people saying they were going to go 0-10, toughest. And remember, they got <laughs> out of the East, they, they gave them Florida and Georgia. I mean, it was like, my <laughs> God, what are you doing to these people? And then out yeah. here they come, and he's got walk-ons winning SEC Defensive Player of the Week. And they picked apart uh, Lane Kiffin offense. They picked apart Mike Leach. I mean, hell, maybe Barry Odom should be number one. I, I'm, I'm talking myself into <laughs> all these guys should be number one. You know what? Right. Yeah, I was just worried because I'm. you could have came out in any order on those top three, and I would have been like, oh, yeah, I could see that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you make some good points with uh, with Odom. I mean, if you give him – if you give him – Texas A&M roster, you give him Georgia's roster. I mean, are are we saying something different, you know? So, I don't mm-hmm. know, man. This is uh, just food for thought, but I was just curious your opinions there. All right, number four on my list, and I, that was a good point by you, Shane. I think there's a little bit of a step down here, but not much because if you're number four in the SEC and a defensive play caller, you are one hell of a pl- play caller. And that's what I think of Zach Arnett there at Mississippi State. I think that defense just kind of came out of nowhere last season. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they played their guts out time and time again. And it was while Mike Leach's offense was struggling through much of the year, it was the defense that was holding this thing together. And time after time, uh, they just, you know, they came with a great game plan. And I think probably about nine times out of ten, they were, you know, they had not as good talent as who they were facing Yet uh, the dam never really broke there for Mississippi State, and I, I think that's a credit to Zach Arnett. Yeah, for sure. And I, they kind of surprise you, don't you? Yeah, I mean, when you're thinking about the best defensive coordinators, you don't ever think of Mike Leach's defensive coordinators. You know, <laughs> right. it's usually those are usually just interchangeable. But what they were able to do last year was was impressive, uh, aggressive. And it was downright fun to watch. You mentioned the Georgia game earlier in the pod, man. I mean, if it weren't for that damn defense, it wouldn't have been a ball game. So right. uh, for uh, for Mississippi State's defense. So I, I think I think this is great. But do you think – let me ask you because I'm playing devil's advocate here because I did not make this damn list, guys. But if we're predicting or you're predicting Mike Leach's offense to really start taking off, mm-hmm. uh, which – and if when that happens, they're on the field less when they're being very productive. So that means the defense will be on the field more. Do we look back and say uh, maybe that was a one-season fluke, or uh, do you think it's repeatable what he was able to do last season? No, I think it's repeatable because last season, I mean, I'm looking back at games like uh, Kentucky where the only score was a defensive score mm-hmm. and Mike Leach – I don't think he had ever been shut out. He got shut out in another game, uh, yet the defense just kept showing up. So if the offense is doing their part and scoring 20, 30 points per game, the hell, they probably would have had one of the best records in the SEC last year. So, <laughs> uh, no, I think this is this is an opportunity for that defense to get better, play less reps on the field. But if that happens, I think Mississippi State fans are going to be pretty damn excited. Okay. All right, man. All right, how about this? There's a little bit of a projection here, Shane, but I think we're going to find out how good of a defensive coach Derek Mason is because I got him number five there, of course, at Auburn now, formerly the head coach there at Vanderbilt. And, uh, you know, you could certainly dock him for what happened there at Vanderbilt, but, you know, so many issues were kind of in his way, obstacles in his way, if you will. But uh, I think Derek Mason – is one of the top five defensive minds in the SEC. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, without a doubt, man. I'm glad you have him on this list because could you imagine? He was – he was. everybody was talking about how great a defensive mind coach he was when he took this Vanderbilt job, and that didn't change. It, it was just situational. It's recruiting. He didn't have the athletes to, to compete like he did in the other – you know, these other teams. So – um, I think we look back with Derek Mason and a whole handful of new toys down there. I think he's going to be fine, and and uh, it won't be long before he's starting to get that little rumor floating around at taking jobs. Mm-hmm. All right, number six on my list, Shane. This guy catches a ton of hell. I think he's a good coach. So Todd Grantham, Florida defense. Third and Grantham. How the hell is he making <laughs> on here? <laughs> yes, last season was, was a damn disaster, but uh, – Hell, last time I checked, it was a disaster for 
for damn near everybody on that defensive side of the ball. So I think the Gators' defense takes a, a big rebound this season. And, man, I just think of, of what he did at Mississippi State. I think about what he did the first couple of years there at Florida because I know we, we want to give Dan Mullen all the credit in the world, but when he got there, it was not an offensive juggernaut. Yeah. It was more of a defensive juggernaut there starting out that uh, the Dan Mullen era. So uh, I think Todd Grantham, there's a lot going for him. And, and yes, I know last season was a disaster. I, th- I think I had him three or four last year, so I certainly docked him some some spots here. But I think he's a lot better than people give him, give him credit for. Yeah, I remember them fighting on the sideline last year. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I've I've been a uh, I don't know. I've I've talked him up uh, years past, but last season, you know, I, I think I was a little. Under, underwhelmed, I guess you would say. Yeah. Uh, this is, but that's not what Florida identity was last year, and and I expect it to be more of a game management de- defensive style, and and you do that, I think, by having a great defense. And I think that's what you know. If your guys aren't on the field the entire, I mean, think about that. Kyle Pitts just doing an eighty yard touchdown. Your guys are right back out there. It's tough to follow that up. Kyle Trask, I mean, say what you want, man. The guy was airing it out. He's scored touchdowns like crazy. This was a fast-moving offense, which meant that defense spent a lot of time on the field. And I don't think that happens this year. I think we look back and we say, you know what, Todd got it figured out. And they get it figured out because the offense slowed down a little bit. So, yeah, I'm with you on this one. This is a good call. All right, number seven, Pete Golding, Alabama defensive coordinator, where this guy's caught in some – a ton of hell too in Tuscaloosa, but uh, you know Alabama's defense rebounded last season. Of course, they've they've got mm-hmm. so many good players to to work with there, but they did lead the SEC in in scoring defense. And uh, I think Alabama's defense, from all accounts, that's going to be the strength of the team. Maybe the one of the better defenses in recent Alabama history. So Pete Golding could be shooting up this list. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah. I'm with you on here. This is similar build conversations. It's just I, I think the talent is there this year. I think the defense looks a lot better, to be honest with you, this year than it did years past. So uh, don't be surprised if he doesn't move up this list. Shane, can I tell you a, a Pete Golding story I heard real quick that uh, I'm, I don't think I'm allowed to tell, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay. I love stories. I believe this was, uh, so this was not too recently, but I think it was the first year Pete Golding was there. Alabama was playing in the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. I was told that he had some kind of like a stroke or something. Oh, wow. And he was advised not to coach in the college football playoff game. Uh Uh-huh. And he... Went into the damn booth and coached a fucking game with a doctor right next to him. Like that's the man's commitment, and, and I think the the expectation. You know, I'm I'm certain that at, nobody at Alabama told him he had to do it or anything. But it, you just never know how many of those big games you're going to get in your life, and and I think that shows you the commitment that Pete Golding has to being one hell of a I mean defensive coach here. So can can say, you imagine? Say what I, you want. No, say say what you want, man. Defensive coaches. Are they the toughest bastards in that locker room? Typically, you know, growing mm-hmm. up, it was, you know, your offensive guys, they come in with the clipboards and their visors and they're just, you know, they're ready to score some points. But if you need, you know, help changing a tire or, or you know, pulling, you know, pull, pulling a tractor out, you know, you get your defensive coordinator. He's, he's the tough bastard you want to be with. So mm-hmm. uh, I love this. They don't get enough respect. Um, they really don't. Especially these days, 2021, nobody's talking about defense, man. It's all about offense. And uh, that's probably why we didn't hear the stroke story here. So uh, <laughs> I love it, Mike. I love it. Thank you for behind the scenes there. All right, number eight. Now, this is really going to piss some people off because this guy is a hell of a coach. But number eight, Brad White, Kentucky defensive coordinator. And it's no knock on him. I can, I can hear it now. Big Blue's already mad. You know, Kentucky – has got uh, an outstanding defense. Last season, though, uh, you know, they kind of got, I don't want to say exposed because they played tough for virtually every game, but I, I think in the second half they kind of wilted, and that's probably more of a function of the, the offense just 
having no passing game and being nothing yeah. but grind it, run and, and gr- grind out the clock and what have you. But I think Brad White, you know, don't let this fool you, number eight, because there's much like, hell, this is the SEC, brother. And if you're eight out of 14, you're still a hell of a coach here. And uh, he's one that uh, doesn't get enough respect. But I just think these guys ahead of him are a little bit better. What are your thoughts on that? Mm, I'm gonna stick out. I'm gonna stay out of this one, Mike. It's between you and Kentucky. <laughs> All right, number nine here, Clayton White, South Carolina. Their new defensive coordinator come over from Western Kentucky. Now, obviously, I'm not sitting here studying a lot of Western Kentucky, but uh, from all accounts, this guy's a hell of a coordinator. He's been, uh, you know, up for the uh, national assistant coach of the year several times, and. Well, I like Marcus Satterfield. The more I hear about the offensive coordinator, uh, I've heard a lot more good things about Clayton White. So uh, I think he's going to bring a different kind of defense here to South Carolina than we've had in in recent years. I think it's going to be more of a, I think what they're running there is like a 4-2-5. So I'm interested to see how they factor that in in there in Columbia. But uh, thoughts on Clayton White there, number nine. (laughs) Uh, no thoughts, Mike. <laughs> Just learning his name right now. So we'll, we'll see. I'll hold, I'll hold the judgment for now. We're getting down here in the, in the weeds, Mike. <laughs> Number 10. Now, this guy was really, really tough to grade here, but uh, I put Steve Wilkes, Missouri defensive coordinator, former mm-hmm. longtime NFL defensive coordinator, and he's got the one year as being the, the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And he's not coaching college football in like 20-something years. So I'll tell you, one of the most interesting hires this offseason. Right. For sure. Yeah. And by all accounts, uh, the defense was, you know, looking pretty strong there in the spring. So I honestly had nowhere, no idea where to rank Steve Wilkes on this list. But I put him number 10 because he's got room to improve. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you coach 20 years in the NFL, you got to be a damn good coach. And and I couldn't put him any lower than number 10, if that makes sense. Yeah. Number 11, DJ Durkin. They're at Ole Miss. I mean, they they were a damn disaster on defense. But, again, so were a lot of people. First year, undermanned. I mean, this is basically what you were thinking you were getting with Barry Odom. Yeah. You, were, you, think, you were thinking you were getting something like this, but that's what actually happened at Ole Miss. So, <laughs> until old DJ turns, turns things around, uh, I can't put him any higher than this. Okay. All right, then the last three, Shane, these, I couldn't really figure out how to rank these guys, so I put basically all the same here. Jesse Minter, Vanderbilt, Tim Banks, Tennessee, and Deronta Jones, LSU, all, uh, well, Banks has got uh, college football experience at a number of stops, but the other two, NFL experience, and I don't have any background on on any of them really calling plays outside of Tim Banks has, has done it here or there with mixed results. But uh, I think these are kind of the – What about what about LSU, though? I mean, Coach O is probably going to be more involved mm-hmm. with that one, don't you think? Well, yeah, certainly he's got to be. After what we saw last year with uh, old Bo Pelini, that ain't going to cut it. But, uh, you know, they're trying to run the Dave Aranda defense, and, and this Duranta Jones worked under Dave Aranda, so – Mm-hmm. But there's hey, Dave Aranda was a, a special coach for a reason, and he's a head coach of Baylor for a reason because he's such a smart guy. So uh, it's not that I think Jones is a terrible coach, but again, he's he's tough to evaluate. He's last year he was a right. position coach in the NFL. Uh, I don't have any knowledge of him serving as a play caller at, at major college football, so uh, I I can't really put him anywhere but the bottom of the list at the moment. Right, I got you. But all right, Chase, hey, we spieled on long enough here. That's my list, and I'm at Big Orange Vols if you want to rip it <laughs> relentlessly here. But, uh, hey, I'm glad I'm glad uh, that we got to work through that one, and I and I hope the fans appreciate the fact that we got to hit on all 14 teams. Yeah, and that's what we try to do, Mike. You know, we want to get some info out on every team because every team's important. You know, it's list season, so I, I think it was perfect. You, you hit the nail on the head here, so – um, but there, this is one of my favorite ones. I like to actually. I do. I, I honestly turn off notifications on here for a few days, and then I'll get on there and see what fight you know Mike got into. But uh, I thought your list was pretty good this year, Mike. Uh, there's obviously a couple, you know, that they're gonna. This is the thing, though. If you can, 
if you could clearly paint the picture of neutral teams, neutral site, just these guys coaching your boys, you know, it, it's it's hard because you, naturally you want to say, well, why does he hate LSU or why does he hate Georgia? You know, it's not that he hates Georgia. It's just saying if he had the same roster, he thinks these guys would be coached better. So I don't know how you're going to articulate that in 140 <laughs> characters, but good luck, Mike. I appreciate the list. <laughs> Well, buddy, I appreciate you hopping on the line here, and I appreciate all the listeners tuning in all throughout, uh, obviously, the season, but uh, the offseason as well. So, hey, that's going to do it for this one. Went a little bit long, but uh, appreciate each and every one of you, and that's going to do it. Catch you on the next one. (laughs) See you guys. Go Vols.